0: So I've been I've been learning Swift over this past week. I took off. Yeah, it, it, it's like how I imagine learning English is for non English speakers, where I think I understand something and I'm like, oh, this makes sense, and then they twist it on me. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, dog, dogs, cat, cats, mouse, mice, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 404 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, sounds like you've got some energy today. What's going on? Uh, it's Monday. It's almost 9 p.m. Yeah, uh, I've been in meetings
1: all day. Uh-huh. I was on vacation last week. Uh-huh. Uh, there's <laughs> yeah. lots to do. It's a long windup. Uh, but I'm also coming off of a, a great vacation so i am feeling refreshed it, it was so good having last week off marshall i yeah. feel like that really recharged me and i came into this week ready ready for a solid episode. me so, too and we got a long one yeah we got a long one uh this week we're doing an interview episode as well more on that in just a second before we get to it huge shout out we got some new bips this week's new very yeah. important pixels in fact we have a very long list of very important picks this week because it's a two-week backlog. Yeah. So, thanks everyone for your patience. Without further ado, huge shout-outs to Matt Turpin, nishane Ferdinand, Paul Hernandez, Channi Luhadia, Justin Wagner, Alte Kira, Aldrin Fernandez, Pavel Ludvizek, Nikki, Alex Harvey, Jacob Johnson, Joshua Beetler, Casper, and Andrew Kamau. Wow. Good list. I would say
0: 70% hit rate on pronunciation there. Sorry if I
1: butchered your name. I tried.
0: Yeah, it was a tough list, but but a good one. A nice, solid list of the VIPs. Welcome to mm-hmm. the fam, y'all. Welcome to the fam. Be sure to catch today's sidebar. Oh, it's yeah. going to be bonus
1: interview questions. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you, yes, you, mm-hmm. just like you, Come together and support the show and make it possible for us to record every single week. This happens on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. For just a buck a month, you get access to basically a bonus episode every single week. It's actually a bonus segment. We call it the sidebar.
0: Sidebar, sidebar.
1: And the sidebar is always, you know, an extra bonus listener question or uh, a recap of an event. Or if it's an interview week, bonus bonus questions questions with our guest. So if you want to catch some bonus questions with today's guest, Justin Stahl, be sure to check out the sidebar. You can do that at patreon.com slash design details. Starting at just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Get the whole backlog of sidebars and get double content going forward all future episodes. So thank you to everyone who supported the show this week. And, yeah, thanks everybody. Uh, for everyone else who's who's been enjoying the show, we hope you'll consider joining the fam. The water's warm. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. Okay, tiny bit of follow-up for our, our interview. Last week, two weeks ago, At this point, Sam Bernhardt tweeted at us uh, regarding our last episode, we were talking about the confidence gradient. But Marshall, Sam has pointed out that there's perhaps a more technical term for this. So Sam says, really glad you discussed the interesting problem of confidence code switching. Somehow that sounds more technical than the confidence gradient. Although the confidence
0: gradient is a more designery way of phrasing that, right? I think I called it the code switching. Code thing. switching, yeah, yeah. So you're insulting my name for it, but fine, sure, whatever. Yeah,
1: I think the confidence gradient is the far superior
0: episode <laughs> title name. Okay.
1: Uh, Sam continues. Also, there is an emotional regulation skill that's part of DBT therapy called coping ahead. And it's pretty much exactly like Brian's warm-up routine idea. Link below. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's an article uh, on dbt.tools called The Cope Ahead Skill about dialectical behavior therapy. I hadn't heard of that before. So thanks for the info, Sam. I learned something. All right. Our main topic today, interview week. Yeah, I'll catch up with Justin Stahl. Justin is a product designer who has designed many things that you probably oh use a lot. Oh, yeah. Justin cut his teeth as a designer and engineer at Wolfram Research and then at some point was self-employed, built startups, was an engineer, and then joined Facebook. And at Facebook, worked on things like Facebook Home, News, Search, uh, then worked on over to the hardware side and worked on Portal, and then eventually ended up at Facebook Reality Labs. And most recently, Justin left and is now the director of product design on the consumer side at Cruise making the future of self-driving cars just a little bit closer every day. So in this episode, we're talking about a tweet that Justin had that went viral recently, all about visual design. So thanks to Justin for coming on. With that, here's Justin Stahl. Here we go. Welcome, Justin, to the podcast.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So for people who aren't familiar with you or your work, uh, could you give us like the abbreviated bio? How'd you get here?
2: Yeah. You know, I've been... You know, I'm one of those people who's been designing his entire life. You know, started writing QBasic code forever ago and learned Photoshop as a kid and made Flash animations and everything, but I've been in the industry for a while now, probably 16 or 17 years. Started at a company called Wolfram Research, where I worked on software called Mathematica and Wolfram Alpha, was a freelance designer and engineer for a long time, making iPhone and iPad apps. and made some apps for designers called the Typography Manual and the Font Game. And then went to Facebook in 2012 and spent about nine years there, worked on everything from the Facebook phone, it was called Facebook Home, Uh um, to search, news, and then went over to work on hardware. And so I worked on Portal for a few years and eventually became the head of design for Portal for a little while. And then recently left Facebook about two months ago. And since then, I've been at Cruise. Working on self-driving cars as the director of product design for the consumer experiences, so bringing the self-driving cars to real people out there.
1: Yeah, very exciting. I was watching a, a thread today of sorry, competitor here, the Tesla FSD Beta Nine video of it's like here's a compilation of all the scenarios where your Tesla will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, autonomous scars are are scary, but that's an exciting place to be working.
2: You know that technology has not quite caught up to where. I think Cruz is at, um, uh-huh. they're relying on just cameras rather than LiDAR and radar and everything. So it's not quite the pinnacle of the technology, <laughs> which is a little scary when you want people to be comfortable with it with the tech. Right. It's really rough to have someone out there sort of showing the worst parts of it, not necessarily the best at this yeah. point.
1: I imagine we could talk a lot about the frustrations of that, but we have come together because of a tweet, which... <laughs> Honestly, this might need to just be a recurring segment and it's going to go loosely like someone goes semi-viral on Twitter and we just come on the show to sort of explain that tweet. Um, (laughs) So I'll I'll read this aloud and then I want to dig into some of the the reactions and then Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about design. So on June 28th, you tweeted, it's been tough to recruit product designers with great visual design and an eye for detail. Did we atomic design system and product manager skills a generation out of having them? Question mark. And boy, oh boy, you got some replies. And so where I would love to start is just to hear your impression of what the replies were. What what did you get back from the community and, and what surprised you?
2: Yeah. You know, it's one of those, if I could go back and edit the tweet, I would. I You know, the mm-hmm. place that I was coming yeah. from was one of curiosity. I had sort of noticed this pattern, not over the past couple of weeks or something like that. This has been for several years that I've kind of noticed this. And I've recently been rediscovering my love for the art side of design, and, you know, design as an art and a science. And I had been asking myself, did we sort of lose the art side for the science of it recently, and had started been poking around some of those things. So exploring the conditions that would have led to that being the case, you know, we're at a point where it's never been a better time to be a designer, we have companies with a 1000 designers in them, all using design systems, that's aligning a 1000 designers, which is incredible and insane, it's just be would be impossible without them. But that also will sometimes come at the cost, which is it's very easy then to just sort of rely on a centralized team that's doing a lot of that work and not needing to take it on yourself if if you're in one of those large companies. As a manager, I've noticed that in an effort to move really fast, craft is one of those things that will sometimes sort of fall by the wayside as everybody wants to get things out and get things out the door and get feedback. And I've noticed, and I'm guilty of this myself, trying to teach designers to have more influence and Every coaching circle that I've ever had with designers, everybody wants to learn how to influence better. So I'm worried that we're sort of training an entire generation of expert hostage negotiators <laughs> to try to get craft <laughs> out there. Um, yeah. And and I don't think that, that should be the case. It should be sort of an accepted value in a company to as one piece of many pieces of creating user value. So that was really kind of some sort of the stuff that I was exploring and, and poking at it. And The reaction was really interesting. I think I saw a few different types of reactions. I did see a lot of managers agreeing with me, saying they see the same thing, which was reassuring. Given given some of the other responses, I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. Other people are seeing this. Um, I saw some people say that it means that the hiring process is wrong or that it's weeding them out. I saw people say that it's impossible to have both of those skills, to be a good product designer and a good visual designer. And then I, I saw people adding other things to kind of the potential blame list. I saw people talk a lot about boot camps and teaching tools over skills. I saw people respond to the incentives that we have and whether we're incentivizing it or not. I saw people respond to the same sort of moving fast mentality. So so I, I ended up seeing a, a sort of a wide range of reactions and And I had a lot of reactions to those, but honestly, I had so many responses, I couldn't (laughs) respond to everyone.
1: Watch a designer react to reactions.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was going to be impossible to respond to everyone. But I I did think it was really interesting. and, And coming from a place of curiosity, it made me even more curious based on the things that i was hearing
1: yeah i'm curious if any of the reactions you saw changed your mind about the original tweet or or added a perspective that you hadn't considered before
2: the biggest thing that it kind of took me down was you know so i i mentioned atomic design system i think brad frost said something and and i actually don't mean to call out design systems they're incredibly valuable good <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and they're good for scale. I have, you know, I think if you're just two designers, a design system, like seems really great because you see other people doing it. But, you know, for the most part, you probably can just like share a couple files between people and be okay. You know, uh, the thing that I think is really interesting coming out of that, that made me think a lot about was actually just where we are as an industry and where the technology is. You know, we kind of go through these waves of expansive creativity And then it sort of contracts down as things become commoditized and componentized. You know, the early part of the web was just (laughs) some black text with blue links every so often. And then we get Photoshop and Flash and, oh my gosh, like everyone, every website had a different navigation system and things were flying around and it was crazy and felt really creative and zany. And then it was like, well, more people are using the internet and they don't have time for your crazy navigation system. And so we started to get these patterns. And so, you know, websites started to look and feel the same as grid systems became very similar, you know, navigation systems became very similar and then mobile hit and it was like, not that great. And then there was kind of an explosion and then boom, like suddenly everybody was doing this really creative work. And then a similar thing happened just over time. We start to identify the patterns. We start working on the metrics and and getting people to use the products in different ways. And it sort of contracts down a bit and and there sort of becomes known answers for a lot of really common patterns. And that's where we are. So that was a really interesting thought process to kind of like work through that based on some of the reactions. And and again, it's not, you know, it's nobody's fault. It's it's just what are the conditions that we're in as an industry and as designers.
1: I agree, but I still think it's, it's really interesting to try and tease apart all of the different points of view here and, mm-hmm. and understand like which pieces feel valid and which don't. And I, I yeah. was reading through a lot of the replies and then your replies to them. Yeah. And the one that I found personally not compelling and I think you agree, but I, I want to double check was this idea that uh, you could be a great product designer without being good at visuals. And I think you replied like, no, visual design is part of the gig. Like there has to be a baseline there. Yeah. And so I wanted to know you know, how do you actually think about the role of visual design in the modern sort of product design title that has become pretty much common throughout the industry?
2: I think a really important distinction here is what I mean by visual design.
1: Hmm. Yeah, let's start there.
2: (laughs) I got lots of feedback that was just like, no, those are two completely different skills. And if we're talking about art and illustration, I agree completely. That actually is a very different skill set, you know, to be able to have character and motion and show emotion and tell a story like that, I think is actually a different skill than, than product design. So when I say visual design for product design, it is craft, and intention, detail. It's all of the basics like layout, typography, image, like those are the main tools that we have. And so do I see that as a core part of product design? Like, yes, I do see it as a core part of product design if you don't know how to lay out information with good hierarchy and you don't know how to have typography with attention to detail, I don't know that I can trust for you to lay out a a flow of a product (laughs) and be able to visually communicate what you're trying to communicate without having some of those skills. So I I don't see them as being separate skills at all. and, And I think if you're a really great product designer like you will have good visual design skills not necessarily the like I said the art and illustration I think those are different skills but you will have attention to detail that I think is really important
1: yeah so let's bring it back to maybe the first part of your tweet which is you're talking about recruiting product designers and mm-hmm. I'd love to know more what you're seeing out there in the world today as you're hiring and interviewing designers Marshall and I uh, also interview and are trying to hire lots of designers so maybe we can find some common themes here. But yeah, what what are you observing in the world today, perhaps specific to this, but even more broadly, just trends that you're seeing with candidates today?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, You know, I will caveat that this is largely coming from the past 10 years that I've been interviewing at Facebook. I've interviewed a ton of people, several hundred designers, probably 600 designers of that time, but it's very focused on hiring people into Facebook, which is a certain type of product designer and a certain type of audience. And, you know, largely North American focused, I have a little bit of experience interviewing in London as a comparison point, but, you know, just want to caveat who the audience is there of people that I've been interviewing. And I I think I've seen a few patterns over time, obviously the ones that we're talking about, which is craft and attention to detail and just seeing that change over time. I think to a very similar point around mobile, a lot of componentization and flows are sort of templatized and there's lots of flows that are just a very common that there's a a real level that everybody gets to on their interaction design that pushing beyond that is actually somewhat hard. You know, I get really excited when I see people that are sort of pushing themselves to think outside the box, or they look at a problem in a different way. You know, they may say, this flow that I'm trying to design right now is a very similar one to this other product. And so we can just basically use that same thing again. But what if we actually look at this? Maybe that's the wrong comparison. Maybe we should compare it to this other completely unrelated thing. You know, those are like real highlights for me when I see people do that. And those help really shine a light on like really solid interaction design is, you know, they're sort of thinking outside the box. They're looking at a problem in a very different way. You know, when you interview and you find someone that just shows a ton of potential, that's the most energizing moment that I have as a manager. When I see someone with a lot of potential, like I want to invest my energy as a manager, helping this person become the best version of themselves, the best designer that they can be. And I think there's qualities that really stand out to me that I will see every so often in someone. And if they can convey these in the interview or in our discussion, I just, I will be excited. And I'm just, I can't wait to write my feedback about this person and debrief and and get this person on board. And I think there's a few qualities that jump out to me. One is curiosity, which I've actually talked about several times at this point, just approaching the world with a learner's mindset, and they're just willing to question assumptions, especially their own assumptions. People who are just really good simplifiers are just really good at taking a very complex thing and communicating it in clear and simple language or visuals or whatever their communication method is, that they're just able to break down really complex problems into things that we can understand. And then people who have aspiration, they just have a willingness to take on hard challenges. They get really excited to work on really hard problems and that gives them energy and, and they have a real drive to just do things that really matter in the world. Like I said, I've seen that a ton over my interviewing experience and those are the people I get really excited about and that's really what I've been looking for as long as yeah. I've been interviewing.
1: Yeah, I think the product design interview loop is a scary one for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is we put a ton of pressure, especially on the portfolio review portion of it. And I think that pressure can cause people to make mistakes, especially easy to fix mistakes. I'm Mm -hmm. curious if you've noticed any particular easy to fix mistakes that would be worth calling out here. Things that people should be doing to have stronger interviews.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I actually think a really high level thing to be aware of if you're going into a product design interview is that. They're going to ask questions across product thinking, across interaction design, visual design, your ability to collaborate, your communication style. They're going to ask questions across everything. And the goal is not that you have all of those skills, that you're just an expert across everything. It's actually, they do that to have the best, most clear understanding of you as a designer and as a person. Because it's okay. Like, it's okay that you have a strength in one area and maybe not in another and say, cool, well, like we'll invest in that over time. So it's it's more to get a complete picture of you. And, and I hope that takes away some of the feeling of pressure that people have. In terms of like common mistakes that I see, a really big one is is actually in the portfolio presentation, like you talked about. That's very stressful for a lot of people. I mean, public speaking is the number one fear in all of humanity. And like number <laughs> number two, yeah, number yeah. two is death. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> that's how scary it is. Um, getting a really good story for your work is incredibly important. And if you were to do any amount of like work in your presentation, if you were going to devote a bunch of energy to it, I would do it in the storytelling part of it. The project that you worked on for a year, it's like, you want, you want to tell them everything you want to tell them, start to finish everything that you did and everything that you worked on. And you can't do that. You're probably only going to have a half hour. (laughs) And for that project, maybe only 10 minutes to be able to talk about that. So you need to find really like what's the story at the center of it. And that usually comes down to context, the high level problem that you needed to solve, and then the resolution and how you worked through that. And you can frame all sorts of problems this way. When I interviewed a Cruise, I did the exact same thing for projects that spanned multiple years. Like Portal took two, three years to come out. And rather than trying to cram in two or three years worth of work, I just said, so let's just look at a couple of vignettes. Like here's kind of a high level problem and here's, The context around it, and here's how we work through it. And then here's sort of a separate vignette, and here's a problem that we had, and the context around it, and then the resolution to solve it. So I think that's a really crucial one. Part of that is actually showing the work. You'd be surprised how many times I leave a portfolio presentation and I say, I actually don't even know if this is good work or not. (laughs) Like they didn't, they talked about the product at a high level, but I didn't really see interaction design. I didn't. Get a sense for what they did as compared to other people. And so at the end of the day, that's what you're showing people is like that you can do really good work. And that's the point of a portfolio presentation, that you have executed good work in the past and you can continue to do that in the future. I think a couple of things that jump out to me beyond those, um, self-awareness, I think is a really important thing to show. And if I'm asking you about your growth areas, I don't want the sort of classic, like, I'm a perfectionist where you're...
1: (laughs) I care too much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I care too much where you're giving me the sort of classic, you know, strength as a weakness. What I'm looking for is self-awareness and authenticity. I'm incredibly happy when someone says, "You know what? Honestly, here's the thing that I get a lot of feedback on and I'm working on that." I'll tell them the same thing. I got a million things that I'm working on. <laughs> and yeah. I and I really respect that because it means that you have the self-awareness of your growth areas, that you know that you're working on it, that you know that this isn't an end state where you magically, you know, you're never going to convince me that you've figured everything out and that you have no growth areas because if you're growing, it means you're doing something new and consequential and that's hard. And that means that, you know, you're going to get feedback on stuff. So, really value people that are authentic and and self-aware of those things.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say that because this gets back to the tweet, which I have interviewed and had conversations like this with other people who are interviewing. And and a very common sentence that I see in portfolios and hear in interviews is, you know, I'm more of a UX designer. I'm, I'm not a visual designer or I don't have good visual design. And it's great that you're self-aware of that, but it also feels pretty unsatisfying in the interview context. Be like, okay, but what? Like, But then what, right? How are you working on this?
2: Yeah. You know, interviewing is like dating. You want there to be a good match in both directions. Yeah. (laughs) And so you want to know if that's a thing that the company that you're interviewing for, do they care about it? You know, I I saw a lot of responses to that tweet where people are like, look, I like having separate visual designers and separate UX designers. And if that's the way you want to construct your team, that's great. You're welcome to do that. That's not how I personally construct my team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I've seen it it work, so I don't want to say it doesn't work. That's just not how I do it. I know I've spent a long time at Facebook. I know that that's not the way they really think about it. I like to construct my team for designers to own a problem space. Like, how do I make the best video calling experience that I can make. And and I, you know, one designer will own one part of that and another designer will own a different part, which is how do I get people to connect to their family as easily and as quickly as possible? And so if you are approaching that as a problem space for a designer to work on, then you can't really separate the individual pieces of it. And it's okay across a team to have a, a range of people that are good at visual design and people that are better at UX and stuff. But at the end of the day, like you want them to own a problem space and and to go after that yeah. problem space rather than just a piece of it that they sort of hand off to other people. Again, that's just my perspective
1: on it. Yeah, I, I think I agree. But I also can recognize where that bumps into reality and, you know, bring it back to the tweet. Like it's very common as well to interview designers who are showing work where the visuals are a reflection of the design systems team. Mm-hmm. And it can be very tricky to tease that bit apart. Like you can imagine, I don't know, somebody shows a screenshot. I'm going to make up a company. I haven't actually, this is not a real thing, but imagine (laughs) somebody screenshots a feature that they've shipped for Spotify or Facebook. Okay. And it's really hard to tease apart like, what did you do here? Because a lot of the UI that's there, right? The UI was made by somebody else. And that can be both good and bad. Like if you look at something like, wow, that's beautiful. This looks great on their portfolio. It looks great at 45 degrees tilted in a fake device frame, right? Like (laughs) that looks awesome. Oh, but they didn't do that. But then conversely, seeing something where the visuals suck and you like really have to squint to be like, okay, they didn't do the visuals. They didn't do the visuals. Like focus on the product, focus on the product. Uh, So what are you sensing here on how to navigate that impact that design systems culture has had on our ability to judge candidates fairly or understand like the visual component of that as they're talking through their work?
2: A very common outcome that I've seen from interviews is we'll be in a debrief and we'll all say the visual design wasn't great necessarily, but they know how to work within a system and they can do that. And that's what we have here. And so that's fine. They are supported here in being able to operate in that way. And that's, again, like perfectly okay if the company can absorb that if the team can absorb that, then that's totally fine. Um, the other thing I would say is that often we're looking at qualities beyond just the design itself. Like the actual quality of the presentation is something that I take into account and that I think other people take into account. I've seen people show design work itself that visually looks really good. And then the presentation surrounding it actually isn't very yeah. strong. Like it's not <laughs> yeah. laid out well. That's a sign.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's, there's yeah. clear typography problems, whatever it is. And so those are the factors where it actually makes it really clear. I've left interviews where I've said, can they work within a system? Yes is their visual design good? Like, no, not necessarily, because in the presentation surrounding it, you know, they had type problems, they had layout problems and or their website or whatever. There's usually other indicators that will reflect that. But again, you know, we may maybe just be at a point in the industry where that's okay and, and you can have an incredibly successful career and not need to worry about those details depending on where you go.
1: Yeah, so then that's the tension here, right? Is in your tweet, you're saying it's hard to recruit product designers with an eye for visual design Yet we have entered a phase where we sort of acknowledge that you know what in our particular company, the design systems got you covered. We don't really care that much, yeah, and that almost seems like this flywheel of the the craft, the visual design craft really just flowing maybe exclusively to design systems leads, like yeah, <laughs> you figured me out, Brian. <laughs> gotcha my master plan <laughs> exposed, yeah,
2: shit, yeah, it's a totally reasonable point, yeah.
1: I liked someone who quote tweeted you. It was that meme of like, you know, oh no, visual design is dead. And then it's like the guy holding the smoking gun. It's like, oh no, visual design is dead, right? Yeah. Eric Andre. I think. How could you do this? How do you feel about that, that sort of sentiment coming from a place like Facebook, where Facebook was one of the companies that really pushed the industry forward with design systems, talking about it in public, Having to solve some of the harder design systems problems, mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps being a culprit here in the diminishing role of visual design for up and coming product designers. Or I suppose you could substitute Facebook for for design systems in general. Like, uh, is there something that we should be doing about this? Like, is it just reality that design systems came along and kind of shot the visual designer, and now we're all kind of wondering where the visual designers went? And that's just the way it is.
0: Or or like, what should we be doing about this? We we artificially selected them away. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because I want to be clear. I don't think it's a result of the design system itself. Uh, the design system is doing exactly what it needs to do, which is help scale across yeah, yeah. thousands. Oh, of totally. Designers. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, so,
1: it's not like design systems are bad. Like, yeah, all, it's like, yeah, no, it's gotta like have it's, them, love you know, it's like you have to have them, and yeah. I love them, and
2: <laughs> you know, and if you told me to sit down one day, put on some headphones, and like make a design system, like that's probably the happiest day of my life, right there. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily that. So I think that, you know the question here is, what do you do about it? That I think is a really interesting question because I don't know that I have a good answer here. I know how I'm sort of responding to it. I do want to reinforce that I think this is a very valuable skill. And I also, like the people who said like, no, 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 those are separate skills. And so you don't need to learn them. I actually don't agree with that at all, because I think it's a designer's job to be curious about the world. Like you need to understand users who are different than you, who have different perspectives than you. So you need to be a natural learner. And so, you know, my response to that is like, should you learn visual design? I'm like, yes. And it's like, if, if you ask me anything, like, should designers learn how to code? I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? You have a, a more marketable skill. Like, that's not so bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. Oh,
1: no, you got better. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: you you, you are available to work at more companies and provide more value to the organization. Like, that's not so bad. But, you know, should the designer learn another language? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, should you learn how to, like, do underwater basket weaving? Like, go for it. Learn yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, the best designers I know are the ones that sort of approach the world with, that sense of curiosity so i think it's really valuable it's something that i will continue to teach to the designers on my team and and to other designers out there i think for managers which is the perspective that i will tend to look at it from i think my question is is there a way to sort of fight that natural tendency of the of the industry right now i've seen people do lots of really interesting things like there's apps i think they're called like the not boring apps And it's a guy who was just like, you know what? Like these apps are starting to look the same. uh, Like I'm just, I'm going to do something. I'm just going to make these like not boring apps and do something kind of out there. I love that. Again, I just get really excited about people who are willing to kind of like think outside the box. And so I take it on myself to work with my team to find those moments, to find the things that are very distinct about the company that we work in, the product that we're making. Like what are things that are very distinct and unique? Because I think that's where the creativity will come out and you don't just sort of go back to the components that you're used to and the design system as it exists now, you really start to think outside the box and push it a little bit more. And so, you know, I wish I had a great answer, but I, as a manager, that's kind of how I want to approach it is, like I said, and then rediscovering that love for the art part of design, yeah. not just the science and finding ways to do that, finding ways to inspire the team to approach problems in different ways. I think something unique at Cruise that has me really excited, and it's actually something that kept me really excited on Portal and in Facebook Reality Labs, is the service design parts of product design, things that sort of touch the real world a little bit more. Those I, I find to be really exciting because I think there's lots of room for creativity because there aren't patterns for <laughs> for those things there never is. And so that, I think, is a lot of fun. I I get really inspired by by those types of problems.
1: Yeah, Marshall and I, uh, one of our topics recently was we were talking about the ubiquity of the three-dot overflow menu Mm -hmm. in our 2D interfaces. Yeah, And we posed the question, what's the equivalent of that in virtual reality? Right? Is it turning something over and looking at the back or or something else? Yeah, interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's an answer to that. But I a, a physical junk
1: drawer that you have to open. <laughs> you have to, you
0: have to Actually, shape. you know, somebody replied to this and said, hey, I work in VR. Usually there's a button on the controller for you to like open yeah. up a, a more menu. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, dumb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's just a physical button for it on the controller. That's how they do it in VR. So there's you your know, answer.
2: But eventually like VR, we'll just be using our hands. Like Oculus can yeah. do that to some extent right now. And so, so what is the three dot menu when you just have your hands? Like, you know, are you mm-hmm. doing the Macarena trying to, trying to like get a menu to pop up. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, you know, to the earlier conversation of where the industry is, I think that'd be really interesting because I think VR and AR are still early enough that it's kind of like the early web and early mobile. And they're going to, in the next couple of years, I think they're going to hit a really big explosion of creativity and then it will start to sort of turn into tools and, and then be scaled the exact same way yeah. that the web and mobile are. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to that explosion of creativity around VR and AR.
1: Uh, let, let's go here to wrap this this segment. One thing that I've I've really struggled with talking to designers new to the industry who ask, how do I get better at visual design? It's pretty hard to give advice. I think Marshall and I have kind of rallied around like go copy a lot of good stuff and like try and figure out what makes things good. Like why is that good? And so yeah, maybe we can end with what advice do you have for designers new or old who are just trying to level up their visual design skills?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think I have a few thoughts here. First, a reaction. So copying is something that I see often recommended. And I think you can learn a lot copying. But I think what happens is that sometimes eventually you'll run into a problem that you don't know how to solve it. Like you haven't seen someone else solve that problem and so you kind of get stuck and you know that's kind of like a phase that you go through is like you kind of learn to copy and it becomes very self-referential and and sometimes very derivative you know I've seen the the work on dribble is like sort of famously known for sort of falling into that trap right where every everything sort of feels derivative of itself and like I said the trap that you fall into is like when something you know you don't have a, a ready kind of solution to sort of point to to how to solve it you end up getting kind of stuck, whereas people who go back to the basics, learn how to problem solve through visual design. And so I think going back to the basics is really important, you know, really learning the objectively true things about type and image, like the spacing and and all that stuff, like really learning what that stuff is, how to do hanging punctuation, how, how to do all of those things that are kind of like listed there and sort of memorizing it, I think is incredibly important. I actually think it's really helpful to have points of friction. Uh, I can tell you like how I learned a lot of this stuff is like I used Photoshop back in the day where if I wanted to like cut someone out and put them someplace else, I had to learn about light and color and shadow and do it by hand and like edit the pixels by hand. And you really learn a lot by doing that. I learned animation in flash where (laughs) I had to do frame by frame animations and occasionally a tween that would like throw someone off in a little bit. So I actually think there's a lot of benefit in just really kind of getting your hands dirty. Make a website and don't reference anything else. Just do it by hand, (laughs) you know, do everything by hand. And, you know, don't worry about the tools or anything like that. Like just get into the weeds of it. Don't reference an existing grid system figure it out for yourself and do the math for yourself. Those kind of projects will really get you in the weeds like you just got to push up your sleeves and kind of dig
1: in a little bit more. I think the tools point that you just made is very interesting because it's also where we started with your background which was Photoshop comes along or maybe this wasn't in your background. I, I it was we talked Photoshop comes along and there's this explosion in weird websites. Yeah. And it's interesting because Photoshop afforded that, right? Like yeah. the tools within Photoshop are about beveling and embossing and overlaying and applying uh, yeah. light modes and things like that. And then fast forward to what we've seen now with Sketch and Figma and Envision and the Adobe one. XD. XD, thank you. Y- you can squint and see like tiny pieces of that. But yeah. in terms of visual expressiveness, it is filled squares and circles.
2: It's yeah, vector graphics. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. How much do we have to blame on the, the tools here?
2: Maybe somewhat. It's a good question. Yeah. yeah, maybe somewhat. I mean, there's a few lessons that I really took away. I, I studied graphic design in college. And there's a few lessons that I really kind of like took away. And there's just something to getting your hands dirty and breaking away from the computer a little bit. That's so refreshing. And like kind of going back to the research or it's a, it's a known thing that, that like the path for every designer is you're a designer and then you become a manager and then maybe you become a director or something like that. And eventually you just like learn woodworking because you just like want to <laughs> yeah, go back yeah. to doing things with your hands. Um, yeah. And I remember in college I had to make a book and we could make it about like whatever sort of, we had to make a process book and I did it about forensics because I was taking a forensics class at the time. So I had this like crime scene, everything. And you know, I was in class and, and I was, putting ink on the bottom of my shoe and then like putting it on a piece of paper and then scanning that in and then like splattering blood stuff and then scanning that in and stuff. And it was, it was so much fun to make that because it just felt so tangible and it just felt so like kind of hands-on. So I, I really love that stuff. And I think it can just inspire a lot of creativity. I think getting out there and doing research will just inspire a lot of thoughts and it just sort of takes you away from those tools in the computer. And, and I think just kind of breaks you out of that cycle of, OK, I set up the grid and then I put the navigation in the right spot and, and that's it. it. It's really explore something different.
1: I think I want to push you a little bit here on this answer. I think the answer's fine. Like roll up your sleeves, <laughs> get in and do the work. I yeah. think that's fine and true. Like, at least in my experience, whatever skills I have obviously have a long ways to go. But of what I have, it is mostly from just brute forcing and slamming my face against the keyboard for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. on nights and weekends for years. Yeah. And I wonder if there are shortcuts around that where I guess what I'm nervous of is telling people roll up your sleeves and they they've been doing that and they just know they're not good. Like nothing's happening, right? Like okay, I rolled up my sleeves and I made something and the thing that I made looks nothing like the things that I respect or admire. I mean, I got a This is the cliche referencing Ira Glasses, the gap, (laughs) right? The gap, but it's that, like, yeah. I mean, it could be a book, a course. Is it about going to graphic design school and getting a degree? Like, have you found shortcuts that have helped you move through that brute force phase of picking up some craft skills?
2: You know, that's hard for me to answer personally because it's hard for me to separate out my background. You know, it's hard to one hundred percent. It's hard to say if I didn't have that, if I had a different path you know, how could I have shortcutted it? And the answer is, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I I don't know if there's a shortcut. I think it's incredibly important to have someone next to you to help call that stuff out. You know, I think it's really helpful to get a lot of feedback to not just be grinding away at it on your own and then hoping it's good. I think you need to get feedback and you should get feedback as often as possible. So the fastest shortcut, I think, off the top of my head that I can think of is that you really want to get feedback from people that you trust, people that are around you to say, like, take a look at this. Is this communicating what I want it to? Is this of the quality and craft that you would expect? And the faster you can do those cycles, probably the faster you'll get better. And, and really not being afraid to ask for the feedback and and again, to come at it with a place of curiosity.
1: Yeah, I like that. It, it just, it sort of reminds me of the relationship I have with Marshall because Marshall is a great visual designer. Shout out Marshall. Hey, what's up? Oh, stop you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but really like having the person who is like the thing for the thing, right? Like Marshall is my person for visual design and having that person where you can just show them a screenshot and say, only critique the visual design. Tell me where the pixels suck. And you get the answer in a couple of sentences versus, you know, explain the context of this. They're like, no, 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 that icon's misaligned. That color gray sucks. This thing yeah. is should be more round, right? Like yeah. that level of just straightforward, brutal, cut it up feedback, I found incredibly useful because then you got to squint and be like, wow, they're seeing something that I'm not seeing. And then you have yeah. to like dissect that, right? And And it trains your eye a little bit.
2: And, and yeah, and again, to my earlier point around knowing why something isn't working, you may have a gut feeling like this doesn't feel like it's as good as the thing that I'm trying to emulate or whatever, but having someone be able to explain, oh, here's why. exactly. like, he said, like, well, this thing is misaligned and this thing is off. And here's why, like, you know, uh, I had a manager named Jasper Hauser, who is world-class visual designer has done some really famous work. And my favorite moments were him <laughs> where he would just come over to my desk when we were at Facebook and like, we would just talk about that stuff. Like we would just talk in the weeds. And at one point we were making a compass icon and my God, I had hundreds of iterations of this compass icon, just talking it out with him. Like, should it have little like notches around the edge? Well, like, no, well, yes. But what if it's at this side? Like we just talked through all the details of it in a very collaborative way. And, and he had input and I had input and he would push back on me and I would push back on him. And, and I loved that. I loved the the feedback cycles of that. It was so much fun.
0: Yeah, I love
1: it. Find yourself a Jasper. We'll have a link to Jasper's uh, profile. So just message
2: Jasper. Notes, just say, Justin sent you. Yeah, d- sorry, you
0: don't need to sorry. find sorry. yourself a Jasper. Just find yourself Jasper. and sorry. Jasper Hauser. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Jasper. <laughs> slide into the DMs. Yeah, let's all go bug Jasper.
2: There's lots of people like that. I mean, again, like there were early critiques that I would do at Facebook with Joey Flynn and Francis Liu and Mike Mattis and... And everyone who were all had that attention to detail and, and they would do the same thing. This thing looks off. This shadow's a little bit off. Your animation, like, could you just, like, do you know, have this tiny little tweak over here?
0: 50 milliseconds, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, tiny stuff that is really, really important. It's funny that
1: uh, this reminds me, I just was re-watching one of the Chef's Table episodes on Netflix. And one of the episodes is of this gentleman in Turkey who recognized how many, I don't know the right word, ancient or, or like uh, old world recipes were being lost to our modern technology world. And so what he did is traveled around to like 40 villages and just interviewed people and watched them cook and documented their process and then brought that and has sort of made it famous back in his home city and sort of captured that spirit. And as you're talking, I'm like, I think we need to just go to like all these <laughs> old, <laughs> old, really good visual designers who have been around and doing this for a long time and just be like show me how you do this, and I'm going to get a video recording of it, and we're going to publish this on the internet and and make sure. Because, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going to happen between design tooling and design systems, like where all this will take sort of the craft of visual design in the future. But it would be sad to lose a lot of this history, which honestly, it is lost. Like a lot of visual design history is relegated to shitty screenshots on Google Images, right? Like we've lost... A lot of that, or or God forbid, to somebody's hard drive that's just slowly decaying in a, a bin somewhere, right?
2: Yeah, I, I really love that. It reminds me that I don't know if this is related or not, but before this, I was talking with John Lax, and we were talking about we were talking mostly about design systems, but you know, a home chef making a meal for five people is a completely different thing than running a restaurant you know those are like completely different skill sets as a chef and i and i kind of like sort of taking that it's like get the get as many home chefs as you can to describe their process and watch them make a meal because that's what you're trying to do usually right you're trying to get those details right for the the small group you're not necessarily trying to scale this like large thing so stretching the metaphor a bit but i think that's a really yeah yeah
1: i don't know if that metaphor is uh, <laughs> uh, what that says about design systems but it's an interesting thought anything else on this topic that you didn't want to mention that you wanted to mention before we get into cool things
2: um there's one thing that we sort of didn't touch on we, were, we started to circle around it a little bit and that's i think a really important component of visual design is not actually just always getting the details right it's getting the concept right what do you mean yeah i can totally explain this. So. When we look at work and we say that's derivative, what tends to happen is there's a sort of style of design that kind of gets through the process of everybody copying each other and and working through those things and trying to do it. Like it sort of becomes, you can sort of look at it and be like, yep, like lots of things have that style, you know, like the the sort of pastels with the sort of jelly shapes and stuff. Like we've all kind of seen it at this point. And I think what's happening there is that the designer doesn't have a strong concept and a strong concept in graphic design is there is a core idea at the center of it and that's what the visuals are responding to or that's what the design is responding to when i again when i was in design school we had to design a book cover and, and so and we would bring in a book and you would exchange it so i got the fountainhead by Ayn rand and you know i was just like okay so i have to find the concept behind this book and it's usually like sort of one word that encompasses the book and I got to like individualism. And so like the concept that I had to have for the book cover was about individual, like it needed to convey individualism because that was the concept of it. And so everything I did in that book cover was all about conveying individualism. And I think that's actually the case. When I look at a lot of visual designs, that look very similar you can swap out the logo for the bank with a car rental company and it turns out the design works totally, totally fine and it looks it looks great. Uh-huh. But that means it doesn't have a strong concept because it's not conveying something unique. And so that's something that I think is really important to having really good visual design is that it has a strong concept that's underlying it, that you know what you're trying to convey about this company or this product. And I think if you really understand that, what emerges from that very naturally is a much more unique visual design. You'll start to push yourselves a little bit more creatively to think outside the box because you want to convey that in a way that other people aren't doing. So that's, I think, a, a point that I think is really interesting and I could probably talk about forever, but I think it's actually really important to having solid visual design. It's not just arranging the type in a really good way. It's actually having a strong concept that supports the visual design.
1: I, I have Sorry, I got to keep pushing here, but I have to push back on one point here, which is well, not even pushback, just dig in a little bit deeper, which is you mentioned having unique visual design. And the examples yeah. were a car rental company and a bank. And as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, I don't know. Does a bank need a unique visual design? Or perhaps even more boringly, like, does your accounting software need a great visual design? Or not, sorry, not great, unique. And what are your thoughts on having unique visuals versus? good visuals
2: i think it depends on
1: distinction there for you
2: yeah because i think it depends on the part of the product um at the end of the day (laughs) company needs to convey why it matters why you should have that company over a different one that's one of the ways of doing that is it's visually distinct it's memorable you know to go back to that thing like you remember it and if you had (laughs) five products that all did the exact same thing and then looked exactly the same way. And they all just had like one slight tweak in it. You know, you're probably going to have a hard time like finding that one again, because you're not like, I don't remember what it looked like. You want something that sort of stands out and represents the company. Like, theoretically like every bank could just have the same logo which is like a dollar sign (laughs) or or (laughs) or a euro or whatever and just like there you go like i'm a bank and therefore you know i have this thing but that's part of what having a brand is like you just need something sort of distinct and and i think the visual design needs to represent that and be tied to it for all the same reasons that you would have a different logo for a different company like um Uh,
1: so so i buy that i buy okay. Chase is blue, Bank of America is red, right? And those colors are important and they mean things. Yeah, But they both basically just list transactions where there's a title, a date, and a dollar amount. It's like, that's the visual design. Like, just don't fuck up the type hierarchy, right? Like, one is slightly bigger or bolder and darker and the other thing is slightly diminished and... That's your hierarchy. Boom. Ship it. Right. Like, yeah. I don't like yeah.
2: Like, uh, you know, a, a table. <laughs> There's only so many ways to innovate on <laughs> the design yeah. of, a, of a table of numbers and titles. Yeah. yeah. No, at that point, you just need craft. Like, you know, you, you want it to be readable and legible and accomplish the goal that the table is trying to do for you. So that doesn't necessarily need to be visually distinct now, you know, like a fancy navigation system. Like I said, like, I don't have time to spend all day learning your like crazy upside down navigation system. Fine. Just like put it in 14 point type and <laughs> call it a day. That's fine. Uh, so it's like, does everything need that? No. Are there pieces that need it? Yes.
1: Hmm. All right. I agree. Thanks for entertaining my, my thought. <laughs> I appreciate the uh, feedback. Yeah. Let's go into cool things. Would you like us to start and break the ice or do you have something in mind?
2: Uh, You go first. I want to see what the standards are.
1: Really high. Prepare for (laughs) incredibly high standards. I've been practicing this in the mirror. I've been watching Uh, this show called Bridgerton. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Uh, I have not watched that. But my cool thing this week is a show. Uh, It's a documentary, two-part documentary and it's the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO, aptly named Tiger. And it's Good. Mostly, I think, because Tiger Woods became famous when I didn't care about the world, right? Like, I was still very, very young. And so then when I was old enough to, like, recognize media and watch TV and, like, notice famous people, he was already there. So Tiger Woods has just kind of been an institution. He's, like, a name that has persevered throughout my entire lifetime. And so actually watching a documentary about him, this person who I've known existed but didn't know anything about because I'm not a golfer and don't pay attention to golf, has been really interesting. Like his childhood, his relationship with his family. And I didn't realize how young he became so famous. Like he was 21 when he became a worldwide name. Uh, so anyways, a uh, good documentary for anyone who is, I don't even think you have to care about golf. I, I still don't really care about golf, but it's <laughs> it's one of those things where the documentary is just well-made and there's a compelling human story behind it
0: so that's on hbo tiger cool thing brian my cool thing this week is brian did i share the first law trilogy or, or the blade itself have i shared that as a cool thing yet marshall
1: you've referenced oh, this sounds like a brandon sanderson no
0: fantasy trilogy this okay. is a joe abercrombie <laughs> fantasy <laughs> okay. trilogy all right get, it, get, it, get it right, another fantasy trilogy here we go <laughs> yeah so okay so well, you mentioned Brandon Sanderson, and I've I've recommended his books on, on the show before. This is fantasy. This is a fantasy trilogy called The First Law. I think it is. The first book of that trilogy is called The Blade Itself. Um, uh-huh. It is not like Brandon Sanderson. It is what is referred to as grimdark, uh-huh. which means it's basically like Game of Thrones. I think is is probably the easiest comparison I could make. Where like people die, and they die gory and t- in terrible ways way before they should die. And like people you love, they're going to die. But also it's a really good story. And you always want to know what happens next. Like I finished this trilogy over over the last week, over the break, and it's done and it ends well. And I I feel like it's a complete thing. But it's one of those I still am like thinking about the characters, the ones who are still alive. Like I'm thinking about those characters like, oh, I wonder what they're doing now or wonder what happens next. Right. Which is a good sign for fiction, if you ask me. So premise is there's a bunch of different characters but like i said it's grimdark like there is no good guys and there's no bad guys everybody's bad like in some Uh way with Uh some good aspects or even the prince charming like good guy is an asshole and like the terrible villain guy actually kind of used to be a good guy and you know has some reasons for being as bad of a guy as he is anyways Everything is morally gray, which I find really interesting. Like it's it's nice to read an easy book where it's like, oh, I know who the good people are and who the bad people are. Big bad evil guy, let's go kill him. And by the end of the book three, uh-huh. he'll be dead, and yay, and we can all live happily ever after. Those are fun, and like it's nice to have that security. But there's also some like thrill of reading something where you're like. I don't know where this is going, and I don't know what choice this person is going to make. They could do the right thing, to my mind, or they could do a terrible, terrible thing that I would never want to see happen, and it's a coin flip, man, so, you know, Red Wedding level type shit, you know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, anyways, the Blade itself, get started, I would highly recommend it, it's like kind of your classic medieval fantasy, the the magic system is, there's magic and like, there's wizards and, and shit like that, but... It's very background and not fleshed out like Brandon Sands said. there's no like real system involved or anything. It's more like Lord of the Rings where like, Yeah, there's magic and wizards. And sometimes the plot needs them to do some magic shit, so they do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Makes sense. Anyways, that's my cool thing. All right, Justin. All right. Your turn.
1: Time. I've got
2: to follow that up. You know, I was gonna say I have been watching the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, hey. but you've already sort of taken the the sports documentary. The sports documentary, sports hero.
1: Yeah, that's same vibe. Same, same, same vibe. vibe. Although the yeah. tiger one's shorter. It's two parts. Each part's yeah. an hour and a half. I think. So, Did
0: you take that um, personally, Justin? <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
2: Okay, so I, I won't go deep into that one. Although that one was very interesting. Uh, so when I joined Cruise, they sent me a copy of this book. It's called "The Ideal City: Exploring Urban Futures" by Space Ten and Gestalten, and it's one of those you know, design books where they sort of show the future. And it's a lot of architecture things, which I really love. Uh, I was, I've always been really sort of into architecture. And it's, it's all of the things that you just can't help but love the really like white buildings with greenery folded within them. And and so it's all very beautiful and very clean and simple, and our cities will never, ever look like that ever, but we all kind of <laughs> wish they did, in the future uh-huh. would look yeah, that way. Yeah, the
0: way we expected them to look now when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: and yeah, yeah. In, in like a 1950s vision of the future, which we won't actually have. Okay. But, you know, I still sort of love the feeling of looking at that, and, and there are things that go beyond that, and some interesting design solutions, like a sidewalk that catches the rainwater, and that waters the plants that are nearby, like the... The really kind of fun design stuff that you can't help but really love and wish that you could just design yourself.
0: This is why I love Disney World. (laughs) Yeah. It feels like Disney World. Yeah. I feel like they have that kind of closed system amount of control where they can do that type of shit where like they can pump sense into the air and and, and make the music blend from one place to the next. Sorry, I didn't mean to hijack your thing, but yeah. I feel like Disney (laughs) World is the only place we'll ever see anything like that. You know,
2: No, it's totally true. It actually reminds me of the Facebook campus, which if you've been there, it kind of looks like the main street of a town and a little bit like Palo Alto. There's a bank and an ice cream shop and a coffee shop and stuff. And I, w- I remember going in on a weekend one time forever ago, and there was people like trimming the hedges and sweeping up leaves and stuff. And I was just like, I feel like I'm in Disney World like before everybody comes in. <laughs> it's like I'm yeah. like, oh, these, yeah. these are the these are the people that like actually run the place and make this uh-huh. look like D- Disneyland the rest of the time. But anyway, so this is just sort of like has been a fun thing to kind of flip through and. You know, my job now is to make self driving cars, and the goal of self driving cars is that they make our streets a lot safer, they make our cities cleaner, that they reduce carbon emissions that you know they allow our cities to be much more accessible and and so it's not that i'm pulling individual ideas out of here but it really takes me back to what we're trying to accomplish and yeah it's, it's kind of stuck with me so i like to just open it up every so often and flip through it and say oh my gosh look at these beautiful white buildings with plants integrated into yeah. them like I, yeah. want, I want it so bad
1: <laughs> look what uh-huh. could be yeah. yeah
2: i need more plants in here is what it says to me
1: Technology. well cool thing all right yeah, we'll have a link in the show notes all right, this has been episode four hundred and four, four hundred and four, not found of the Design Details podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoy it, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at Design Details FM. Uh, if you want to tweet at Justin justin's handle is just all just all j-u-s-t-a-h-l just install love a link to justin's profile on twitter uh, be sure to justin. i dig, it. I dig uh, it yeah yeah give us some thoughts some reactions some hot takes some cold takes both temperatures are permissible perfectly valid uh if you did enjoy this episode and want to hear our bonus questions with justin be sure to check out our patreon at patreon.com slash design details that's it we'll catch you next week
2: I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening. You know, be sure to check in to Design Details. Same bat time, same bat channel.
1: Yeah, and sorry, what t- what what bat time is that?
0: <laughs> is that Mountain Standard bat time, or is
1: that...
2: <laughs> what, what, time, what time do you post?
1: <laughs> five AM Los
0: Angeles Wednesdays.
1: So wake up at five AM to listen to Design Details, and
2: and thanks for having me. This is this was wonderful.
1: Thanks,
0: Justin. Thanks, Justin. That might be the best. (laughs) Normally I just go, bye, and and then it's over, but I love that. That was great.